Now, coming to you live, but not really live, from Gut Check World Headquarters in the capital city of a boxing glove-shaped state, and Gut Check South Command, deep in the belly button above the buckle of the Bible Belt, it's the Gut Check Podcast, with your hosts, Ted Cluck and Zach Bartles. Hey, welcome to the Gut Check Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined, as always, in studio by my good friend and, and partner in radio and my work friend, Zachary Bartles. Uh, Zach, we've had a few uh, of the old, old-timey old technological snafus this morning, so it feels like we're really doing the Gut Check uh, radio program again uh, in, the, in the fashion that we have always done it, but it's good to be uh, connected, good to be on the radio with you again, my friend, and we have a lot of pop culture things to discuss. Um, should we get right into it, baby, or do we have anything to promo? Should we talk about uh, Ligaris Roasters, Silky Smooth, Gut Check, uh, signature blend coffee. Um, you could go to lagarsroasters.com. You can get a bag of gut check espresso. Uh, it will be the best coffee that you've ever tasted. And uh, if you're if you're like my partner Zach, you could get one bag, you know, kind of for the rest of your life, or you could, or you could re up. They have a they have an incredible system where you can uh, you can get a bag of Lagaris Roasters. Every oh, month. you know, I didn't even know that. I, I know it. I know it. It's it's the miracle of, uh, of of modern technology, which you and I wouldn't know anything about. But um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do I'm gonna go a little rogue. Okay. okay? I'm gonna go kind of off the reservation in terms of um, in terms of my coffee mogul dealings. Um, so I have deals in place with uh, with a different podcast, uh, and I'm a coffee mogul on their behalf as well. But I want to give our listeners um, the special checkout code to get twenty percent off. Their Ligaris Roasters purchases through the month of December. Uh, the special code is HAPPY20. So if you put in HAPPY20 at checkout, you get 20% off any Ligaris Roasters purchase. Uh, so do that for the month of December and enjoy your coffee. And Zach, I want to talk about something that I think you expected to enjoy, uh, but didn't enjoy. <laughs> and that is the newest <laughs> That is the newest film offering in the, uh, in the Ethan Hawke uh, lineup of films. His his illustrious career has taken him from um, a, a turd in the '90s called Dead Poets Society uh, to some great movies. He he was kind of the quintessential uh, arbiter of of the of the '90s look and the '90s aesthetic. We called him Mr. '90s. Yeah, yeah, Mr. '90s, Mr. '90s, the slouchy philosophical know-it-all uh, who, whose philosophy was actually a, a mile wide and an inch deep. <laughs> and uh, he he of the of the flannels and uh, and floppy '90s hair, we love Ethan Hawke on this program. We are we are um, supporters of Ethan Hawke. So Ethan, if you or your family are listening, I want you to know that we uh, we have we, we have loved your work uh, over the years and enjoyed it. But uh, baby, you watched a new film, and this this one has all kinds of like points of connectivity for us. You watched a new film called First Reformed. Uh, which was made by Paul Schrader, a filmmaker from West Michigan, who kind of had the, you know, not not to sort of minimize what he went through, but I, I guess the typical West Michigan experience of, of of kind of throwing away, sloughing off organized religion after, you know, kind of growing up in the oppressive, legalistic uh, West Michigan environment that he grew up in. And, um, you know, all of it kind of culminated in this film, First Reform. So why don't you tell us about it? I have viewed selected scenes and um yeah we're going to enjoy this discussion so yeah schrader wrote uh, taxi driver if i'm right uh yeah and, that's right which is a movie that when you're in college you watch and you go oh man that's deep and not only is it deep but it's like semi-old yes and so it gives you, you know, a lot I appreciate of appreciate things yeah it provides a lot of smugness cachet on different levels um yes. and it's a movie that yes. you're required to talk about how amazing it is but nobody actually enjoys watching it Am I right about that? I, I think I actually did like it because at the time I was watching that, I was really into things that were just like shockingly yeah. like bleak and violent because I don't know if it's like a – I think that might be like a alternate Calvinist cage stage type thing. Like yeah. reminders of just how awful the human heart is. Oh, yeah. Um, and, I mean, we just – we both like Scorsese. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So th- there's that. Yeah. Um, but this movie – I had heard it compared to Taxi Driver before I watched it. And I would say it is similar in that 
Uh, they both have about the same amount of kind of subtlety and nuance. <laughs> which, is to say, which is to say no none. subtlety and nuance. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, I was just thinking about this this morning on my drive in, uh-huh. that I think the mistake here is both the 98% fresh film critic rating on, on Rotten Tomatoes and the like uh, 50% of the population that will defend this movie as being amazing is confusing... Yeah ambiguity and, and lack of direction uh, and lack of any kind of um, kind of ending yeah or or actual uh, you know landing anywhere yeah. confusing that with with nuance yeah and yeah. and deepness like because the movie ended in a way where like you know the the director's saying well all interpretations are equally valid and I'm not going to tell you how to interpret my work and mm-hmm. and basically what he was saying is I didn't know how to end it and I just like punted and and it sucked yeah um yeah. and this was a kind of movie that started out with great promise I loved that it was uh the pastor of the little church I didn't even mind the over the top environmental stuff once I was like okay this is what it is. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's just well, let's ride the ride and see where it goes. Yep. We got ourselves but... a climate change movie, everybody. We got ourselves a, <laughs> we got ourselves a preachy climate change movie. Let's do this. Yeah. It's 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 one of those things where like, um, if you're a Christian, you can't make a preachy movie. You you'll get eviscerated for it. You'll get killed. <laughs> but if you're a if you're a left leaning environmentalist, you can absolutely make a preachy movie all day long. <laughs> And and I wonder too, baby, if it's one of those things where like Paul Schrader just gets a lifetime pass for having made Taxi Driver and for also not making movies very often. Like this guy makes a movie mm. like once every ten years. So right. you know, I I think he gets a lifetime achievement award for having done Taxi Driver. And so people people feel like he's some sort of legend that we have to keep in like bubble wrap and you have to talk like all of his movies are amazing. When in fact you know, this movie, I think, was the opposite of amazing. When really probably what made Taxi Driver was a combination of Scorsese and De Niro. And the source material, uh, I, from what I understand, they, they deviated quite a bit from the screenplay. I mean, even stuff like You Talking to Me, I mean, all these things, that's all improv and workshopped and, and the amazing minds of, of subsequent artists. Yeah, yeah. But... Uh, I mean, not to talk down about Taxi Driver, whatever. I'll, I'll never watch it again. No. I remember I bought it when I got a DVD player in, like, 1996, and then yeah. I sold it for four bucks at the disc trader when I realized, it, <laughs> you know, it's the kind of movie you don't rewatch. Exactly. Uh, but, yeah, it's the kind of movie you, but, you put in your collection so that you can look cool for, for owning Taxi Driver. You know, right? You need it in college. You need so that it when people college. look at your DVDs, which define who you are. Your CDs yes. and your DVDs yes. in the '90s in college—that is you. That's your Dude, identity. Yes. That was that was such a huge thing in the '90s, and and honestly, I miss the easiness of being able to walk into somebody's dorm room, look at their their CDs and their DVDs, and and kind of ascertain what kind of person they are. Because now nowadays, I mean, you and I excluded. You and I both have like robust dvd collections that are still displayed but like for most people all of their like media consuming life is done you know in in the cloud it's on some kind of streaming platform and you can't readily access like what they're consuming um i think this was a great thing in the 90s and it was a great way to kind of like you know move the needle if you had if you had a certain kind of person coming over you could showcase certain you know, certain CDs in your collection. <laughs> yes. And like whenever girls would come over, I'd, I'd make the Sarah McLaughlin CDs really prominent so that I would, I would look like a certain <laughs> kind of guy. Uh, you come off as a big just sweetie. Just a big sweetie. Just a big sensitive sweetie. Like the kind of guy who would go on to make a climate change movie, you know? <laughs> but um, the thing is with the CDs and the DVDs, it wasn't really you could look at them and ascertain who they were. Yeah. It was who they wanted you to think they were. Yes. Which is, I think, what you know, Facebook and, and Twitter and all these things are now, Dude, right? You're right? Just kind of curating. It's just a less fun version of what we were doing in the 90s. Right. It was physical then and yeah. it was spatial and it was... Yes. Yeah, dude. And... and you know, I I wish I could roll it back more and be you know the the Rob character that that oh. resorts all my vinyl autobiographically. Yes, but, you know, dude, that, that that's so brilliant. And to me, like, that's what's joyful about that movie. Like, I honestly don't care in high fidelity if Rob gets back with his girlfriend. Like, I just want to see him. I want to see him archiving his music. If the whole movie was like two and a half <laughs> hours of him like really sorting his music in his apartment, I would I would totally watch it. I would be all in on that. 
But uh, dude, yeah, with his two friends who work at the store, just kind of there in the background, offering commentary and stuff. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, totally. absolutely. I would, I would watch that all day long. But a movie I would not watch all day long is First Reform. <laughs> so let's get, let's what, let's get back. What to happened that. there was we slipped into talking about a good movie that we liked. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and we lost, we momentarily lost track of the crappy movie that we don't like. <laughs> uh, but but it needs to be talked about because this is a movie that's getting like. Kind of a little crackle of, of critical, and and what's more, like, it's getting a lot of smug hipster traction. So, um... It's also getting some, like, uh, engaging the culture Calvinist traction. Yeah. Maybe because it takes place in a Calvinist church, and I guess, to some degree, positively portrays the clergy? I don't know, but I mean, like... Yeah. It, it, I'm going to just, I'm going to right off the bat say massive spoilers. Yeah. Let's not shackle ourselves. No, 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 no. So if you haven't seen this and you want to see it unspoiled, turn it off now. Yeah. Uh, but you don't want to see it unless you want to watch it to laugh at, in which case, no harm, no foul. Absolutely. Um, I feel like the movie, and I know, Ted, you you watched kind of some of the, the uh, end, you know, yeah. maybe what, the last 20 minutes yeah. or yeah. so. It, the movie starts basically solid because Ethan Hawke is great at playing the tortured, haunted... Oh, dude, perfect. Um, like, his look was perfect. His aesthetic was perfect. And his voice has become, like... He's got that Nick Nolte, like, yeah. I am definitely dying voice going yes. on. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, of course, the character was dying. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's uh, right. You have to be dying. Yeah. He was dying inside because he had, like, somehow... He had gotten his son killed in Iraq, and then he was dying... Uh, also inside because he had some kind of ill-defined cancer. Uh, and, and we know that because the viewer got to watch him pee blood mm. uh, and then watch him puke a lot. You know what, pee? Uh, which is the new... Peeing blood is the new crying. <laughs> crying is the new... Uh, th- uh, I think we might say peeing blood is the new puking, and puking was the new crying. Dude, yes. But now even that is not That's enough. the life cycle of emotion in movies. So... Like there, there was a shot earlier on of like into a toilet, yeah, yeah, and like this, this like pink pee going yeah. in, and then they like flip it around and show his face, and he's like, e- ow, oh, eh. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I watching here? What? So to to all young filmmakers, peeing blood is 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 the new ultimate show of emotion. So if your if your character is really <laughs> really going through some things, have him have him peeing blood. You're going to need to up that soon, too. What's, What's next? next? You know, yeah. Well, and there was talk of bloody stools, but they didn't show them. Maybe that's the next thing to show you know that what? your character is really emotionally, you know, in there. That's in the, that's in the director's <laughs> cut. If, if you get the special director's <laughs> cut. Remember, remember the director's <laughs> cut DVDs from the 90s? Oh, yeah, yeah dude. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I love it. So, what did where did you see? That's what I want to know. <laughs> okay, so I watched one of these... Um, I just went on YouTube and I and I googled like, um, you know, first reformed ending, and I and I ended up coming to one of these videos. It was like a twelve minute deal that was kind of a synopsis of the movie, but also sort of a, an exposition on the last you know five or ten minutes of the movie, where like a guy would talk over it. Like there there was okay. a yeah there was like a smug guy giving. Um, like, oh, no. yeah, yeah. Giving like commentary on what, on what happened at the end of the, and he was a fan. Like he like he loved the end of the, he thought it was the, you know, just the deepest thing. And, um, he, he said a thing that like smug film people say sometimes about endings. Like it, it had to be that way. You know, it had, it had to be this kind of ending, you know? And, and he would, he would cut occasionally to like a super grizzled looking Paul Schrader on one of those. Like panel discussions, panel or yeah, yeah, yeah. dude. The the thing I love about um, this is another digression on on a digression. But a thing that I love about those those smug panel discussions is the the disaffected kind of look that the actor has to get. You know, so it's like it's always an actor, a director, and like a journalist. And the director is like an old, like ugly person. And the the <laughs> the, 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 the the actor is like a beautiful person. You know. And anytime anyone else is talking, the the actor has to get this like kind of far away, almost sneering, like I'm bored sort of look on their face. And it's just golden. <laughs> like, because baby, here's the thing. Like if you and I were on a panel discussion and like if you... Oh, well, we've been on panel discussions We've before. been on panel discussions. And like if you were talking, I would look at you in a way that conveyed, I'm interested, I'm listening, I'm engaged. Uh-huh. 
you know, I'm not. I respect you. Yeah, I respect you (laughs) because you're my, you know, my friend of a decade plus, but also because what you're saying is probably interesting. And, you know, the actor on a film panel has no such obligations. Like their, their, their whole visage just suggests like, I wish I was with more beautiful people and not these ugly sort of normals, you know? So uh, even though I'm sitting next to Amanda Seyfried, yeah, yeah, uh, Seyfried, Seyfried, I don't, I don't know. know, I don't know, yeah, but it works either way. Um, so yeah, it, it, I saw this thing and I I got the scene of like, dude, I I got some beautiful scenes. Like I got him sort of. Let's take them one at a time. Yeah, man. yeah. So I'm I'm gonna just talk you through some, and I I don't know if these are in chronological order, but I'll just uh, I'll I'll go with it. So I got a scene of him sort of you know, pensively and torturedly walking around like a toxic waste dump. Yes. <laughs> which was which was not subtle. So, if you, again, if you're a young film student making a climate change movie, which I hope you are, um, everybody should make at least one climate change movie in their career. I hope you have a scene of a clergyman, like, very, very toturedly walking around uh, a toxic Stalking waste dump. the... Stalking, yeah. Now... Did you see any of the funeral there? Uh, well, I did. I saw. I, I, I shouldn't be laughing as I talk about this. So yes, you should because it's hilarious. I feel conflicted about what a horrible person I am now. But yeah, I got a sense that don't talk that way. You're the money. Amanda, thank you, baby. I got a sense that Amanda Seyfried's boyfriend was like a husband. A, a husband. Yeah, that's right. Was like an yeah. ardent environmentalist. So ardent, mm-hmm. Zachary Bartles, that he blew himself up for the cause. And in 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 doing so, part of blowing himself up was insisting that his um, ashes be scattered at this toxic waste dump. Am I right on that? Having not viewed the whole movie, he blew his head off with a shotgun, and I I know this because they showed um, this was very very like uh, Coen Brothers. Yeah. They showed uh, he had, he had texted. Uh, Ethan Hawke's character yeah. meet me at such and such place, and when Ethan Hawke got there, they showed this guy with a shotgun in his hands and his head mostly missing and his brain scattered through the snow. Yeah, And sure. they showed that shot for a good while. Yeah, that is very uh, common. And I was like, ew, <laughs> gross. Yeah. That's, that's very yeah, gross. super gross. Uh, and he it? did that because his wife was pregnant and he, he the only way he could justify bringing a baby into the world is if he brought himself out of the world to make room for her mm. because of all the overpopulation and climate change. Wow. That's, yeah. That's a th- and apparently in his will he had said, "I insist that my funeral be at this particular toxic waste dump. Mm-hmm. My ashes be scattered into the like polluted lake, mm-hmm. and uh, this Glee club sing a Neil Young protest song, and it be the most insufferable <laughs> thing in the history of the world." Baby, can I can I just say something related to our friendship real quick? Okay. And it's it's yeah. it's related to the movie, so it ties in. If I die before you, and you're sort of involved in the discussions about my funeral in any way can you make sure that they (laughs) they involve zero neil young protest songs and they don't take place at a toxic waste dump i don't want any of i'm on it i don't want any of that to to be a part of my funeral if you know and i I hate to i hate to take it down to that level and just just do kind of the logistics of my funeral on the air but uh yeah so i i did see that i saw some acid uh some ashes being sprinkled at the funeral um I got the sense, too, that, like, if you were Amanda Seyfried, wouldn't you feel a little ripped off that, like, probably in college, you met this guy who was, like, young and hot and idealistic, and he was probably, like, a conservation biology major, and um, and you were really attracted to his ideals, um, and you figured, like, low-key, you figured he would grow out of it, um, but instead of growing out of it, he doubled down on it to the degree that, like... He got you pregnant. He went to prison. Yeah, he, he he went to prison, and then he impregnated you, and then he killed himself. Wouldn't wouldn't that yeah, feel right. wouldn't, nice guy? Yeah, nice guy. Wouldn't that feel like kind of a bait and switch to you? Like, <laughs> like when you met him at, yeah. at Calvin College, which is probably where these characters went to college. You know, given Paul Schrader's background, you meet a, you meet him at Calvin. He's a hot, affluent, like conservation biology major in like nice, puffy North Face jackets and. Uh, you know, he plays shirtless frisbee in the summer, and he's got a little beard, and he walks around, you know, wearing wearing no shoes like he's Jesus. And then, uh, and, and then, yeah, and then it goes the other way. I don't know. I'd feel ripped off if I were her. <laughs> <laughs> well, she doesn't seem too bummed about it, honestly. Throughout the remainder of the film, yeah, she's like, in, well, yeah, and then she has happened, a but... yeah, and, right, and then she has a weird sort of semi-erotic relationship with Ethan Hawke. Does she not? 
Yeah, Mr. 90s. Which, by the way, yeah. I think, A, this is definitely an update of um, the Dead Poets Society. Yes, I agree. In, in that it's just um, so, like, on the nose in your face in the in the most clumsy way yeah, uh, yeah. It, we, it, at the same time having really not no no clue what its real point is yes and then uh also mr 90s here we we, we had a little joke that was a little mean-spirited that in uh, the remake of the magnificent seven he was mr 90s because he because <laughs> he looked like he was in his 90s <laughs> that was a I funny like joke in this movie he brings those two things together. Yes. Right? I mean, he's he's Mr. 90s in that faux deep 90s way, but also he definitely looks like he's pushing 100, um, even though he can't be more than four or five years older than us. Yeah. So good for him. Good for and him. I know he's playing a, a dying man, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a tortured dying man. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, you know, I, I do care about the environment. I'm sure more than most people... Um, in in the kind of reformed camp, dude. Yeah, you and your wife uh, definitely and, care about it more than me. I'll, I'll just put oh, that yeah. way well, more yeah, than everybody me. cares about it more than you. But well, no, not everybody. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not like I'm not actively like like spewing toxic waste into the environment. But I I'm I'm not like pained about you're it. Not, like I've I've zero. Like, you're not Terry Silver. You're not signing the plutonium deals in the bathtub. Dude, no, I'm not, I've made zero plutonium deals in my bathtub. <laughs> but but yeah, you guys really do care about it. So like I feel like a heavy handed. You know, uh, environmental movie would would play a little bit better to you than it would to me, but but still, no man, I care forty percent less about the environment than I did before watching that movie. Yeah, yeah, it had the opposite effect on you. <laughs> totally, did. what a shame. Yeah, I was like, I can't be in the, I can't be in the same boat as as this schlock. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, it, so it kind of, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. It kind of traveled through the whole continuum of. Because at some level with those preachy movies, like it, it makes you feel like incrementally cooler for being on board with it. You know what I mean? So you, you kind of travel through that moment of like, like, hey, I'm a little bit like pseudo liberal in this way and it makes me feel a little bit cooler. And so, so you have that. Did you have like 20 minutes of feeling that way with this movie? And then it took you... Not a bit. No, not a bit. No, the problem with it, Ted, was that it went from the story of this guy. I mean, let, let me just paint the, the very, the premise. Yeah. And this is mostly what's sold in the pre. Yeah, yeah. It's this guy was a uh, chaplain in the military. Horrible things happened. His son died. His wife left him. He left the Air Force or whatever branch he was in. Yeah. And this mega church, yeah. pastored by Cedric the in- Entertainer, who's using his his regular like Christian given name in this because it's so serious. Yeah. Um, First name Cedric, he, middle name V, last name Entertainer. <laughs> his Christian name. Yeah. It was no. It was like it was like. Cedric Bryce or something. It was like his last name is like a super white first name. I don't remember exactly what it was, yeah. but but uh, he, so so that church like owns and like keeps ticking along this tourist church, which is the oldest. Uh, I think it's the oldest church in the state yeah. or or something. It's from the 1700s. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, why don't I just put you there as a favor to you, and you can kind of sh- preach to the six people who show up and like do the tours and run the gift shop. Yeah, yeah. And. So to me, I'm going, oh my gosh, this is like actually some similar themes to like a book I wrote. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I want to see how, you know, Paul handles this, right? And that immediately goes out the window, rando, when they're like, oh, what if we took this movie about a kind of thoughtful internal thing going on um, with a, a minister and smashed it into uh, like a head-on collision freaking, you know, 18-wheeler train accident yeah. with... Uh, an environmental flick where a guy's building himself a little bomb vest in his garage. Yeah, and there yeah. was, you felt like it was two movies. Like I was flipping back and forth between two movies yeah. about two different things. It, it didn't feel cohesive at all. Yeah. So at no point was I like, oh, all right, I'm watching. Uh, you know, I, I had 10 minutes of that feeling when I watched uh, Al Gore's uh, PowerPoint presentation about global warming. Yeah. Um, but even I was not in any way charmed by this turn. Yeah, yeah, baby, that's too bad. And it, it occurs to me that, like, if they had stayed with the original premise of the movie, like, just the conflictedness of a, a clergyman in a church that's kind of past it, that's sort of a relic, that's sort of emblematic of our culture's relative detente with, like, religion as just symbolism... Um, mm-hmm. like it, it, it could have been a really interesting movie. Like this guy's trying to like Absolutely. really do ministry in a church that's just a just a dinosaur or just a symbol or whatever. That could have been fascinating. But uh, oh no, 
we 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 got <laughs> oh no we we got to make a got to make a climate change movie <laughs> Dude, it reminded me a lot of like how some of the later, like before he went straight to video, some of the later theatrical release Seagal movies yeah. would be like, oh, we all showed up to watch Seagal beat the crap out of many guys at once, you know, like <laughs> pull their guys. throats out of their necks yeah, and everything. Yeah. And and then all of a sudden we're like, wait a minute, why am I being preached at about like oil companies and stuff? Like, it, oh, yeah. It, it, was, it, it was that sloppy. Yeah. It, and what happens to like actors? And, and I don't know, maybe this is even like a semi-serious discussion where they feel like, you know, okay, I've built my career on being, in the case of Steven Seagal, the guy that like, you know, beats up and kills many guys in movies, um, to all of a sudden I have to use this this vast platform, you know, that I have if I'm, if I'm Steven Seagal, all this influence to like let people know about oil companies, you know? Um, it's just a, it's a funny turn that like certain Hollywood careers take. And, um, you know, if you're yeah, Ethan, the Clooney effect, what, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you're Ethan Hawke, like how is So here's a question and you know, you don't know the answer to this, but I want to just hear you speculating on it. Cause I think it could be interesting and funny. How angsty do you think Ethan Hawke is in real life? Because he's, <laughs> he's made a career like from age. How old do you think he was in dead poet society? Like 16, like my son's age, something like that. Yeah. yeah. He was like Tristan's age in dead poet society. And now he's he's older than us. You know, he's a few years older than us. How angsty do you think he's been that whole time? Ten being the most angsty. One being he's the most relaxed, happy-go-lucky, you know, not a care-in-the-world kind of guy in real life. How, how angsty do you think this man is? Hold on a minute. I'll get my phone out. No. Okay, Google. How angsty is <laughs> Ethan Hawke in real life? <laughs> I, I would say... I don't know. He seems blasé when you yeah. see him like talk about his work. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like he leverages the angst, the angst for his his art. Yeah. And that in real life he's pretty disaffected and and kind of I, I don't know. I, I feel like he's angsty about like the money he makes. Probably he's angsty about the fact that he's not comfortable in his own skin. Yeah. As a movie star, influencer, millionaire, yeah. uh, and would rather be the the character he plays in. Um, reality bites yeah but yeah i guess maybe a seven or an eight what do you think yeah i i think dude i I bet in the 90s like when he was in college like when he was college aged i bet he was real angsty because his his star was starting to ascend and it was all built on like the appearance of angstiness but i bet there was some real angstiness there um, cause nobody's like that good of an actor. You know what I mean? You would have to be in that headspace to be able to pull it off. And plus like being angsty was part and parcel with just being an affluent, like white person in the nineties. Like you almost had to, you had to be a little angsty. Um, but yeah, I, I think like you, I think it's settled into a, into a little sense of blaseness. But the great thing about this movie about first reformed is that it seemed like he channeled some of his nineties angst into this character. Um, like he had to really do it. Yes. He had to really pee some real blood in this movie. You know, some real emotional blood had to get peed. <laughs> he had to pee some emotional <laughs> blood. Dude, if you if you watch movies like uh, Training Day mm-hmm. and and even the the Magnificent Seven yeah. reboot, um, he does. He's got no charisma. Like he's yeah. and it's okay. Yeah. He's playing the character that's kind of like. I'm going along with it, but I don't know about going along with it. I mean, there's angst in in the Magnificent Seven because he doesn't want to shoot anybody because yeah, yeah. he has PTSD. Yeah, but like he's even in that angst, he's kind of just sort of laid back, dude. So he's he's not the one freaking out. I'll tell you the great thing about both of those characters and about Ethan Hawke vis-a-vis that kind of angst. He's got a friendly and vulnerable enough face that you kind of believe him as a victim and as a sacrificial lamb, which is really what he was in Training Day. Like, in Training Day, they smash him together with this just, like, vicious powerhouse of a character in Denzel Washington. And Ethan Hawke is really just, like, putty in his hands, you know? And even though he's angsty and he's conflicted and he's tormented, like, he's really kind of a victim. And I think that, that to me, is, like, peak Ethan Hawke. Like, that's Apex Mountain yeah, Ethan Hawke. Uh, more than Dead Poet Society too, right? Yeah, Dead Poet Society too. More than like um, Reality Bites, where he was kind of the sneering '90s douche. 
Like he was sort of yeah. the alpha in reality bites and that he was like the philosophy major who like knew more than everybody and, and was just a real smug kind of like D bag about it. Um, he was great in that. And that was a, that was a really fun movie, but I, I think, you know, the, the character type that you described is really like peak Ethan Hawke. I agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. So oh, hey, wh- let, let's, let's talk some more scenes in first reformed. Yeah, um, well, that's what I was going to say, man. What did you see? What's the next one you saw? Well, I saw a scene where, okay, so in in this particular like highlight package that I watched, I saw a lot of scene. <laughs> I saw a lot of scenes of like Cedric the Entertainer just trying to get into his office and failing. <laughs> like, like he just couldn't get in. He couldn't like he couldn't breach the Pentagon that was Ethan Hawke's office at this like antiquated Reformed church. However, Amanda Seyfried. Apparently, just had free, you know, access in and out of Ethan Hawke's office whenever she felt like it. Um, well, and I think that plays into uh, whether or not the ending was real. Um, and I think that they did that on on purpose, and it was it was pretty over the top. Yeah. symbolism there. So talk me through that because uh, another scene that I saw, and I, I know you've got thoughts on this scene, was a scene in which. Um, Amanda, uh, Amanda, I mean, it's not funny. It's a very serious movie. Paul Schrader, if you're listening, and family of Paul Schrader, if, if you're listening, it's a very serious movie, and we're taking it very seriously. But uh, I'm, I'm laughing at something else. But there, there's a scene in which um, Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried make such a connection, Zachary, such a connection. On such a heart and soul level that they begin to levitate. And the subtext is that this is more erotic. This is more like <laughs> this is more intense than sex. Um, in that in that they're making such a connection that they're levitating. They've moved off the ground. In that you 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 could almost say they're flying, but they're not moving like forward or backward. They're just sort of flying in the same spot. Um I, I wanna get your <laughs> deconstruction of that scene and all the symbolism and all that it entails go (laughs) well the thing was she said to him as she's talking about her late husband yeah uh in a not not all that sad way uh she says we used to do this thing we called (laughs) the magical mystery tour Uh (laughs) which is a reference to uh this short-lived uh crappy band from the 60s which i thought was just uh, euphemistic for some weird sex thing that they did together but, uh, <laughs> right. you know. I was like getting ready to fast forward, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and uh, he, he's like, "What's that?" She's like, "Well, we shared a joint, and then we would lay." And basically, what she describes is the way that like Elijah lays on like the little boy and breathes life into him in the Old Testament. Yeah. Remember that, like yeah. arms yeah. out, like palm yeah. to palm. Um, and I don't know if he was being biblical or if he was just being like uh, like deep and happened to yeah. overlap. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, but uh, <laughs> so she, she said we would like try and breathe into each other's mouths or whatever, and, like mm. exchange our energies, yeah. and, and and be as close as possible. And he's like, "Well, you want me to do that? Okay, cool. Nothing weird about that. <laughs> yeah. Locked in my yeah. office, and you're a grieving widow, and I'm a minister. Absolutely, this um, is standard procedure, standard ministerial <laughs> procedure. <laughs> in fact, I had a class in seminary yeah. on this. Kind I learned of all about this at Gordon Conwell. Yeah. Allow me. <laughs> <laughs> I had this class so with David Wells where he taught this. <laughs> Dude, my my first thought when, when they started to levitate yeah. was when I was 22 years old, uh-huh. this scene would have clinched this as one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I would have, like, I would have tried to the, do that with my girlfriend. <laughs> I, I, just the fact that they started to levitate and nothing odd or supernatural had happened in any way or none of these weird inside yeah. the head space kind of shots or anything just but out of nowhere in the third act this is happening yeah. and what you know I don't know if you saw this whole scene because they they levitate and then their surroundings change you saw that right like it becomes a like dark starry night yes that's right yeah and, and then they begin to fly through these beautiful pristine grand natural locations mm. yeah subtext and much preserve these locations they're important <laughs> right. and, and you know the quality of the the green screen mm-hmm. uh it reminded me an awful lot of like the old 1978 like superman movie yeah like when he'd be like, holding hands with lois lane and they'd be flying yeah. and like <laughs> even though uh, there yeah, there's a blue sky behind them and in real life you know there's a blue screen behind them yeah. it still looked super fake like the light was wrong right like they were really well lit, whether they were in a dark sky <laughs> exactly. or like out in the Grand Canyon at noon. Exactly, 
and you you could almost you could so almost great. hear the fan like right off camera like whipping <laughs> whipping Superman's cape. Oh crap! I'm I'm dying over here. I think I have the same whatever the uh, vague ailments Ethan Hawke's character. Dude, you have had. something going on <laughs> internally. You're gonna pee blood after we after we finish the program. Oh boy! If I do, I'll know that I'm definitely a deep uh, yeah. A guy. You're feeling there's more to deeply. me than your average like minister, you know? Because there's more to there's more to Ethan Hawke. So, Absolutely. So yeah, they're they're flying through like beautiful mountains, majesty, and all this stuff, and then. The music changes and goes from like the swelling kind of like grand to like deep cello comes in. Mm, it gets dark. Yes. And intense. oh no, we're flying over a field of discarded tires. Yeah. Now we're flying over acres and acres of, of just plastic. And again, yeah. this is stuff I care about. Yeah, no, I know. I don't, maybe not anymore. Maybe yeah. it cured me of yeah. that. Like, because <laughs> it was so heavy handed. It is. And it, and it was so out of left field, uh-huh. pun intended, I guess. Yeah. With. Like from the movie, like it was just nothing to do with this yeah. until all of a sudden it has everything like, oh, to I'm do with this. this. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> what? And and then uh, they they kind of land. I don't remember how they land, but I remember thinking that may have been the <laughs> dumbest thing put to film uh-huh. since the monologue in American Beauty about the paper or the plastic bag being the most beautiful thing he's ever seen as it danced around. Dude, I agree. I agree so much. I agree so much. And and in the same. In the same vein as the plastic bag scene, this is not going to age well. Um, I mean, it's it's not good now for you and it's me. It's going to age about as well as Ethan Hawke. It'll age, it'll age like Ethan Hawke. Uh, <laughs> dude, yeah. So, just so 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 many things to say about this. Like, do, do you know if Paul Schrader still resides in West Michigan? I have no I'm idea. Sure I can find out though. Yeah. In my studio, I have uh, IMDb capabilities. Dude, wow! Yeah, so tap into that right now. This is this is good, good show tech. I like this. Um, IMDb.com. Mm. It's taking a second. That's a good website. The internet. Okay. That's a good. That's a good <laughs> page on the internet. I like it. It's a good <laughs> internet website. <laughs> that's right. IMDB.com, all lowercase. Uh-huh. All right. Um, so we're looking at Paul Sherada. And, oh, I rented this from a video store, but apparently you can watch it on Prime. There you go. Um, and I could watch it on okay, Prime. Okay, so, yes. Yeah. Oh, and he's working on something now called The Jesuit. Ooh. So, Oh, and he, dude, this he's, dude wrote... Um, she wrote Raging Bull as well. I mean, like, he's, yeah. he can do... And when The Last Temptation of Christ, remember that yeah, yeah, disaster? Yeah. Oh, boy. So much faux depth. So much faux depth. Um, Dude, what what happened? It, this is, this is like, not semi-serious. This is an all-the-way serious question. Like, what happened to Paul Schrader in West Michigan as a as a child to make him so angry? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I don't know. Because, dude, like, you and I both did... We both we both took a, a long significant pull in West Michigan, and and I think there were things about it that were like, like yeah, this is dumb, or this makes me angry, or you know, it, in a time and a place, it's like yeah, this is this is really shallow, it's really hypocritical, or whatever. Like you and I have the we have the equipment to get angsty about stuff like that, but I think you know, long term, at the end of the day, it didn't do like permanent psychic damage like it it appears to have done with <laughs> Paul Schrader, so. Yeah, like all kidding aside, like I really, I really would like to know what what happened there. Um, I don't know. I mean, he went to Calvin College, yeah. and if you <laughs> walk around on the campus of Calvin College, you find that there. And this isn't a new millennial hipster deal. This yeah. has been the case back into the nineties. Yeah, yeah. That there are always going to be a a not all that small minority who are just way too good for it. Yeah, sure. Who are just smirking about the narrow theology and worldview. Oh yeah. Uh, I remember a few people, like the first time I saw this, it was clever, and then it became increasingly um, ironic. Yeah. Somebody had bought one of those Calvin College stickers you put on your window, yeah. cut up the letters, and made it say Clone Village. Oh, um, yeah. Which which was kind of funny, and then I saw like seven or eight more, and I was like, oh, yeah. I see what you're accidentally doing there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think he was just one of those guys, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and he just I don't think I don't think he had any real. I wish he I think he wishes he had some trauma. Yeah, um, because that would really he could he could leverage that. Yeah. Uh, but it says here on IMDb trademark 
usually writes and directs stories about men who fall into desperation as their world crumbles around them. Around them. Yeah, wow. Frequently casts Willem Dafoe. Dude. It doesn't say where he lives. Oh, no, hold on. Currently lives in Westchester County, New York with his family. And if your family is listening... Yeah, uh, if your family's you know, No listening. hate for Westchester County. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, man. You know, can I can I admit something that I felt while watching the ending of the of the movie, Zach? Um, <laughs> Please do. Yeah, so if, if you're a longtime listener to the program, we, we appreciate you. But something that... Um, comes up from time to time on the program is the fact that um, I, I made slash am making my own feature length independent drama. And uh, I think like all artists, Zach, from time to time, I feel um, worried that my thing isn't any good. And I feel those pangs of doubt and that those feelings of like, oh my gosh, I got in too deep and I bit off more than I could chew. And who am I to think I could make a movie? Watching First Reformed, Made me feel <laughs> so much better about my own independent filmmaking endeavor. <laughs> I just felt like, oh, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be all right. Silverdome's going to be okay. And, you know, no matter how the final cut, no, no matter how the final edit turns out, it's 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 going to be more kind of redeemable than this, um, which is a mean thing to say out loud. But it, it did give me comfort. It gave me a, a, a good feeling. Uh, that mainly to do a discussion of the ending because uh, the question remains, is there redemption in First Reformed or does it end uh, on a very bleak and depressing note? Um, can I describe the basics of what happens? Please do because I think I've seen some of these scenes. But yeah, go for it, man. Describe away. S- and again, spoiler alert, it's all over, and don't worry about it. You don't, yeah. You're not missing anything. Yeah. So he he decides completely, completely out of sync with his character uh-huh. and where he was at the beginning of the movie and where they tried to bring him, that he, at the 250th anniversary of this church, mm-hmm. when not only the head of a major uh, polluting corporation, <laughs> but also the governor and other pastors uh-huh. and members of the community are going to be there, that he's going to wear this dead guy's bomb vest in and kill himself and everyone else. Actually, the name of the company, like on their LLC paperwork, it's Major Polluting Corporation. Incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> you know who the uh, CFO is? Who? Terry Silver. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so they, you know, they do business from a, a sink, but that sink is the only non-polluted water, like in their sphere. <laughs> exactly, they're they're hoarding it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so he he decides he's gonna kill everyone, yep. and he and he begs Amanda Seyfried, Fried, Fred, whatever, not yeah. to come. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because he doesn't want to blow her up, but he doesn't care about like all the children and Dude, stuff right. that be there. I guess. Yeah, he has a very—it's a very compu- complicated moral calculus of like who gets blown up and who gets to live. And and here's the and- here's the criteria, baby. I think if if you're hot and we've levitated together, then you get to live. <laughs> but everyone else in the building has to die. <laughs> and, and really, I mean, we get at the beginning that he's depressed. We we get from his journaling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he's he's conflicted and he has a hard time praying. Yeah, and we see that he he is starting to care about the cause of the environment, and it, it isn't so completely out of left field because it, it they could have done this better, but it kind of comes in and takes the place of this vacuum of having nothing to live for, sure. having a church that's kind of a non-church, and now he's got this cause. Yeah. But they never show how he got like radicalized and militarized um, into being a suicide bomber, mm-hmm. homicidal maniac. Yeah. So that's kind of a that's kind of a big gonna, leap, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he's he's going to do this, and he's about to walk in from the rectory to the church to do it, and he sees that his uh, levitation partner is there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Freaks out, takes off his uh, <laughs> takes off his suicide vest, uh-huh. takes off his vestments, takes off his sh- undershirt, uh-huh. <laughs> wraps uh-huh. him. S- Wraps himself really, really hard in an old, piece, <laughs> in an old piece of barbed wire that naturally he just had lying naturally, around. Who doesn't? Such that it like cuts into him all over the place. Mm. You know, after the fashion of you know the the ascetics and and yeah. desert mystics and, and monks of old, yeah. Yeah. Uh, puts his vestments on over that, which are white. So now he's bleeding through them. Sure, um, sure. And, uh, there's symbolism of something there. Symbolism galore and, there. And throughout the film, Ted, he's been, you know how like uh, 
yeah, the way alcoholics drink yeah. in movies yeah. to show that they're alcoholics mm-hmm. is that they have a bottle yeah. and they use it to continually fill a tumbler yes, and drink. That's out of right. It. Yeah, yeah. He's been doing this the whole movie, Absolutely. man. He's been filling this thing mm-hmm. and drinking, fill, drink, fill, drink. Mm-hmm. So he takes this this glass mm-hmm. and he dumps out what little alcohol is left in it. Yeah. And earlier, after a, a puking and blood peeing jag, he had used some Drano. <laughs> puking and blood peeing jag. That's going to be the name of my punk rock band. Or maybe the concept album that we write. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, he, he'd, he'd plugged up the toilet with his, with his puke, I guess. And he'd used, uh, which is, this is not advisable, everyone. Much like... Everything that happens in this movie, especially the stuff in the last 10 minutes, um, he uses some Drano to try and clear it out, and then he starts plunging, which, I mean, that's just asking to go blind. It really is. Um, But it established the Drano as a character in the film. You know (laughs) what I mean? I I miss good Drano character development. You know, (laughs) we really lost it as as a film community of late. But... They didn't do it well in this movie because they never, just like they didn't with with Ethan Hawke's character, they never really brought the Drano from a character, from a place of, like, I clean out puke from toilets to I I help in a suicide. Because he dumps out the alcohol, he fills the cup with Drano. Yeah, yeah. And he's about to drink it. Mm-hmm. Now, did you see this, Ted? Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but keep what talking about next, it. What happens next, man? Um, if, it, if I'm interpret, I think Amanda Seyfried comes in, right? He sees her anyway. Yeah, he yeah. See, yeah, he sees her. Um, so after the the guy who owns the building or whose whose mega church owns the yeah. building had no way of getting into the office, right. she suddenly is yeah. there. She has a master key. Apparently, he like you know. And this was a scene that also appears in the director's cut. They just went to like a Home Depot together to make a copy of the key. <laughs> they used one of those little machines that you you feed some money into, and it just spits out a key copy. <laughs> They were levitating while they did it, though. I mean, it was spiritual. <laughs> Not religious so much. Not but religious, spiritual. but spiritual. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love it. Yeah, keep talking, baby. Keep describing. <laughs> so he sees her and he drops the Drano glass, and I think you hear it shatter, which I think mm-hmm. might be important. Mm-hmm. So he runs over and he gives her like the longest, deepest, grossest kiss yeah. in cinematic history. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and honestly, this is, this is two relatively beautiful people we're talking about. Yeah. And yet they, they managed to sell this as just like, ugh. A gross thing. And mm-hmm. uh, what I did kind of like the cinematography here. It was going around them mm-hmm. continually for like 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, and I felt like for a, just a second, like, oh my gosh, he's about to do something that ties this whole movie together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I had a feeling like, oh, we're going this somewhere. This could be meaningful, this is, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna look back at all the stuff I scoffed at and go oh my gosh, yeah it right. had to be that way right yeah 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 um, and so what happens this big there's this big buildup of the kiss and the the kind of spinning around uh, and then it goes black and uh, the credits roll yeah there you go <laughs> there you go um, so do you think he committed suicide or do you think she she saved yeah. him I I don't know either way. Um, it's dumb, but like, I'd rather think that just, yeah, she, she saved him like they needed each other yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they realized, you know, that whatever that the fact that he hugs her yeah, while kissing her grossly yeah. and seemingly none of the tons of blood on him gets on her. Yeah. The fact that she's suddenly there. So, so whether or not she's really in the room, maybe still, mm-hmm. like, just the thought of her saves yeah, him. Yeah. He does drop the Drano glass. He does. So he'd have yeah. to chug it out of the bottle directly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to... Let's let's go with the... Let, let's go with the premise that he didn't kill himself. And, Zach, you're, you're, you're a creative. You're a fiction writer. Um, I, I've done some screenwriting. Let's let you and me try to kind of extrapolate out what happens... <laughs> The, the rest of that evening, provided <laughs> she saves him, they get together romantically, and he doesn't kill himself. So, I mean, does the, does the rest of your evening consist of, yeah, like, wow, we got we to get you out of this barbed wire, okay? So we're going <laughs> to we're, we're sort of unspool you from the barbed wire? In a, in a we're sense. We're going to go to the urgent care. We're gonna, right? Yeah, we're going to go to the urgent care, or maybe we take care of it there at the house if we've got enough, like, sort of hydrogen peroxide and gauze on hand. <laughs> so 
we unspool you from the barbed wire. We get you out of the vestments. You know, we realize like, you know, gosh, it's it's getting it's pushing, you know, eight o'clock. So it's late in the evening. Nobody's had dinner. You know, do we We've missed the 250th anniversary service? Yeah, so that's a bummer. That's a huge bummer. But do we like do we order a pizza? Do we like Netflix something together? <laughs> do we you know, do we head out to like Chili's and get grab a late bite? You know, what are what? Are, what are we, how do you how do you move on from that like in terms of the evening? How do you redeem the evening after after right after you've just swaddled yourself in barbed wire and almost had some Drano? I like to think of it more as lashing, but yeah, and, and you know, mm. you think about the conversation. Do you bring up the elephant in the room, which is the <laughs> fact that we both know I was going to kill everyone. That's right. Today. That's right. And then I was like, you know what? Forget that. I'm just going to kill myself. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe let's just go to Chili's. Yeah. And and do you talk about that or do you act like it didn't happen? Is it impolite to bring it up? Yeah. Yeah. It, here here's here's the issue I have with the movie. Um and and you tell me if if you're on the same page with this. The fact that like strapping a bomb to yourself and thinking about killing a whole room full of people is couched even remotely in this sort of misguided sense of nobility. Like, why is anyone okay with this? You know what I mean? Why is any Why is any person who views this movie okay with the idea of, like, Ethan Hawke doing this? You know what I mean? Um, and, and, and my sense is nobody would... Like nobody would sit across the table from you and me, from you and me and be like, "Yes, I'm I'm fine with him doing that." But but there is this vibe, this atmosphere of like he believes in the cause so much that he's just willing to do. And and even like the husband blowing himself up before you know the kid was born, it's a sense of yes, he's so wedded to his ideals. Are are you with me in this? Like I I feel like you yeah could, I gotta wonder you could very much make the argument that every single person in this movie is like a hundred percent like bat shite crazy. Your thoughts? <laughs> Your... I I wonder if you asked people a slightly different question, people who like the film, like yeah. is Ethan Hawke a you know a better person mm -hmm. when he's completely lackadaisical? Like mm -hmm. no, we only have small T-shirts in the gift shop. We're gonna order some more and kind yeah. of drifting, drifting, aimless, shiftless. Or is he a better person and better off when he's strapping on that bomb? Yeah. And I bet people would have a conflicted moment. Well, I don't know. At least he believes in something, man. And what what brings up even more of the just out of left field, crazy, disconnected mess that this movie mm -hmm. is, is that there's like a scene where he's using the dead guy's laptop. Yeah. And he's reading about all the polluting and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then he starts looking up uh, suicide bombers because mm -hmm. I guess he's just curious what it would have looked like or something. Yeah. And they show, like, what I think is a real uh, suicide bombing. Yeah. And, and, like, I, in the context of a movie that was actually succeeding in making the level of point and being the level of deep that this movie thought it was, yeah. maybe that would be justified. Yeah. But in a movie that's just pure schlock... And just such a turd like this one, yeah. It's almost it felt to me like if they would have shown like footage of real people dying in the middle of Deuce Bigelow two or something. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? like, yeah, absolutely. It was it, so out of place, and I did not like to watch it. Yeah, because yeah. I am not a sociopath, and so right. Yeah, I don't know what 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 are your thoughts on that sort of thing? Yeah, I I I agree a hundred percent. Like to me, it seems like so much of this was just kind of in there for shock value you know like we're gonna we're gonna be the indie film that puts in a you know a clip of a guy really blowing himself up and man it's it's like it's easy for us to laugh about but at, in a very real way it's just super disturbing and there's kind of no other word for it like it's disturbing that it happened but it's also disturbing that like somebody would be so enamored with it as to put it in a movie and um I'm going to suggest an alternate arc for the Ethan Hawke character. Um, okay. And, you know, you tell me if there's any shred of, of like, veracity to this for you as a, as a clergyman, as a man of the cloth. My alternate arc would be one in which Ethan Hawke comes to work and realizes, yes, my job is not ideal. Um, there are things about it that are frustrating <laughs> to me. However, I get to go to work in a really beautiful place 
in a place that's like saturated with history and there could be worse jobs than this. Like there could be way worse jobs than this. <laughs> and, 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 and what's more Zach Bartles, like I have the ability if I'm Ethan Hawke's character to get on any of a number of ministry related job websites and get a different <laughs> ministry job, you know, one that isn't like tied to a, an evil polluting corporation. Like I could go and get a ministry job somewhere else, or I could just choose to be thankful for the things about my current <laughs> ministry job that are nice. You know what I mean? Of which there are many. Of which there, there are many. many. Like they, yeah, like they 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 did not do a good job of showing that being a dead end. I mean, yeah. they show him uh, a able to. Uh, yes, he fails to counsel the guy out of blowing his head sure. off, but that guy was he was going to do it no matter sure, what. Sure, sure. He's able to uh, be there for a young Christian woman who's grieving. Yeah. Granted, he was kind of there, I think, in the wrong way a lot of the time. In the, in the erotic but, levitating you know, way, which is not a way that we yeah. would suggest doing it in real ministry. Because no. in my seminary experience, that was never yeah. brought up as an, as an actual option. I mean, erotic levitating um, was an elective at Gordon-Conwell. I mean, it wasn't part of the core <laughs> curriculum. So let's just be clear about that. I mean... And the book, the book on it was written by Thomas Merton, who, whose uh, <laughs> thoughts definitely permeate yeah. this film. Thomas Merton's but, similar uh, tome, uh, Erotic Levitating. Yeah. <laughs> for dummies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. But, but uh, like, not only did he have those opportunities, which are tough things, but, but you know, actually rewarding. Yeah. He also, um, they show him, like, getting to be part of, like, uh, discipleship groups at the mega church. Yeah. So he's present where young new Christians are like sharing their struggles yeah. and the leader of the group's like, well, Reverend so-and-so's here and he gets to like speak into this stuff. Yeah. And one of my favorite scenes, because it wasn't horribly bleak and awful, was like he got to speak to a group of school children who was coming through yeah. and like open up a hidden door in the floor and show where they hid the slaves when it, the church was part of the Underground Dude, Railroad. Yeah, that's super dope. I feel like he was having an impact. You know what I mean? Like, Yes! Yeah, I would love to be able to do that. Like, there are way worse ministry jobs than the one he had. and, um, and, and yet, Like the one Cedric the Entertainer had. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at this going... Man, you get to go to work in a really cool looking building and you know, you get to help people and from where I sit, this this could be way worse. I don't know. Maybe I'm naive. But uh, I'm, I'm now granted. N neither of us lost our whole family recently, and we're neither of us, as far as I know, is peeing blood. Dude, so yeah. you know, he has other stuff going on. But have you ever peed blood? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. That's a really intimate question. Dude, I've never have, even been actually. asked. I have. Really? Yeah. I oh, did a, you get like a kidney shot when you yeah, were boxing? Yeah, I took a kidney or... shot when I was uh, when I when I was in high school. Actually, I was a I think it was my junior year of high school football. I took a helmet right in the kidneys, and I peed blood for a while, and it was it was literally the most painful thing I've ever experienced. Um, really? Yeah, having like a, a kidney laceration, it's just a really acute kind of sharp pain. So far, far be it from us to minimize to, to minimize to minimize. What uh, what Ethan Hawke went through? Um, well, I don't think that we were laughing at the idea of having cancer or any of the th symptoms no, we that go with we it, weren't. but more the way in which they were portrayed on this film and exploited. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's that's a hundred percent where we were where we were at with it. So, um, yeah, baby, this this uh, this has been a really interesting discussion, and I've uh, I've enjoyed every aspect of it, and. Um, yeah, it's it's really fun when we get to like deconstruct these movies, but also like I, I want to be clear, and and you affirm or deny if you feel this way. Like making fun of Ethan Hawke almost feels like making fun of a brother at this point because you know he came up in the same decade as us, and I feel such a kinship with Ethan Hawke, even though he's been he's been responsible for like a couple of the mega turd, heavy handed movies of a lifetime. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, it, it's a real sense of conflictedness, but even though we spent like the better part of an hour making fun of his latest movie, like I, I still really like Ethan Hawke. Are you with me in that? Uh, disagree. Really? Talk yeah, about it. Nah, I mean, he, like for a long time, I think I just assumed that I still liked Ethan Hawke's stuff the way that I assumed I still liked like Kevin Smith's movies until I rewatched one yeah. of them. After yeah, my yeah. mid twenties, and was like, "Oh, yeah. this is garbage." Yeah. Um, 
I, like, I read his novel, which I thought was actually pretty good, too, but I don't know if it would hold up if I reread it. Yeah. And I don't Dude, know. I read that, too, to like, me... 14 years ago or something. Yeah. What did you think? Uh, I felt exactly the same way about it. But to be fair, though, I was in my own sort of smug, I'm just discovering literature phase, and mm-hmm. it, it may or may not have been good. I may have been reading it through that lens. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So it, it might have been bad. I don't remember. I, I do like, I, I really like uh, Training Day. Oh, and... yeah, I love Training Day, dude. And I, I even love Reality Bites. Like, for as oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. heavy-handed and dumb of a 90s movie that is, like, I really love it, and I love his character in it. Um, so, yeah, there, I don't know. there are definitely I feel like movies. I would want to spend, in the words of Ted Clock, zero minutes with this guy, is what I'm dude, saying. Oh, yeah, I would, I would definitely want to spend zero minutes with him, but I, I like watching him on the screen and kind of laughing at how smug he was. Um Fun fact, though, in my in my day job, I have to spend lots of minutes with people like that. So, in a way, I feel like I am. In a way, I feel like I am spending a lot of minutes with Troy Dyer from Reality Bites. I'm just doing it in a in a modern and updated way. <laughs> uh, Do we have uh, four or five minutes to talk a little Amazon Prime, and I can make some recs here dude, for yeah, you? Yeah, let's let's talk about it. I think we need to take about 15 seconds to shout out to Ted Cluck Quotes for pimping the heck out of our products in the past uh, few days here. Man, that guy is the best. So Wayne, if you're out there, if you're listening, I know Wayne is listening. Like I'm 50-50 on like Ethan Hawke's family listening, but I'm, I'm 100% <laughs> that Wayne is listening. And uh, Wayne, we love you. Keep up the great work there at, uh, at Ted Cluck Quotes. And don't, to- don't dump your toxic waste from Ted Cluck Quotes into... <laughs> Into the environment, which is the thing that I've just been convicted of by a movie that I just watched. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so you just got Amazon Prime. I did. And you were looking for recommendations. I've had it since it existed. Like the moment they came out with it, I was like, I buy so much stuff on Amazon before they were even making products. So um, the the stuff that they've come out with, I haven't, I've probably seen 15% of it. Sure. Let me just tell you what I liked and what I didn't. Now, let me tell you one thing off the bat. You know how Netflix shows, they're like, they have to do stuff in them that you couldn't do on TV to justify it being Netflix. Sure, sure, sure. Like yeah. F words or, or yeah. nudity and you, and it never adds to it. And you're always just like, ah, yeah. It's the equivalent of eighties nudity, you know? Yeah. It it's like, but yeah. now, um, you watch it, an Amazon thing and you're like, okay, this didn't have to be so icky. And sometimes yeah. it actually makes it so that it's just not worth watching. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that's a bit of, and that's going to be a different place for each person. Disclaimer. Sure. Sure. So, the first thing I already told you you got to watch is the Romanoffs. Matthew Weiner put this together. Mm-hmm. It is uh, really really good so far. Yeah. And it's a show in which it follows descendants from the Romanoff family uh, via the one person who didn't get butchered when they brought them all together and, and killed them. Yeah. Um, the Bolshevik thing. Dude, and now how many of the little vignettes have you watched? I think we've watched five now. And they're not little. They're all like movie length, which is awesome. An hour so, to an hour and a half. Yeah. yeah, we watched the first one last night, and it was phenomenal. It was gorgeous, set in Paris. Um, yes. Yeah, Aaron Eckhart was phenomenal. It, it was so good, man. It was so enjoyable. That was such a feel-good thing because the, the awful character is redeemed without changing in an unrealistic way. Like, I, I really like that first one. And they're all different, dude. They're very different. Yeah. Like, there's one that's almost a horror movie vibe. Um, they're, they're all got the best of the 90s vibe to them as well. Dude, yeah. see that through. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, we can talk about more of them as we see more. Yeah, we're really um, we're really into it, man. We're going we're gonna to enjoy those for sure. And that's got a lot of our favorite actors in it. It's got uh, a couple people from Mad Men. It's, it's had... Uh, Amanda Peet comes back out of nowhere to... to dominate one of them mm-hmm. sadly i think it's the worst one i've seen so far but her performance oh. is great so yeah great interesting stuff. interesting uh, ron livingston is yeah. in in the one i just watched and that was probably my favorite one so far he's great so that's that's awesome uh then there's bosch which is a detective show which is just barely good enough to keep you watching it but okay yeah you know it's free once you yeah. subscribe yeah. yeah there's one called a hand of god yeah, that they went two seasons and stopped on, and I was so annoyed. Really? Um, yeah. the The premise is this guy uh, starts hearing the voice of he's a judge. He starts hearing yeah. the voice of God, kind of via his son who's in a coma after attempting suicide. And this all sounds like first reformed pseudo deep yeah. stuff. Yeah, for sure. But it's not. It was it was good. 
And uh, he starts, yeah, his wife starts like feeding him meds oh, wow. that he doesn't want to take, and the voices stop. And you're like, okay, he's just crazy. Yeah. But then the things that the voices have been telling him start coming true. Uh-huh. And like the what happened to his son starts kind of being solved. Yeah. And I don't know if it's worth even watching because there's two seasons, and obviously there was more story to tell, and then they canceled it. Interesting. But those two seasons are great. Baby, can, it, can I uh, run a thing by you that, uh, that I've heard a lot of great things about, but I, I'm curious if you watched it. The, the Man in the high, high Castle or High Tower? What? The Man in the High Castle, yeah. we watched seven or eight episodes of and keep talking about resuming, but neither of us wants to enough to actually do it. Dude, that's interesting because I know, yeah, I know some people that have raved about that. Um, it's clever. I mean, of course, yeah. it's a, an alternate uh, timeline where the, sure. the Nazis and Japanese won World War II and divided up America. Yeah, yeah. And, Which is an interesting premise. I mean, yeah. that's kind of fascinating. And the, the MacGuffin in it is there's a can of a film mm-hmm. um, that is like an alternate history to them, but our actual history that shows like us winning and gives them hope and everything. Oh, and interesting. That's, I think the man in the high castle is producing this stuff. I don't know. I it didn't do it for me. It, mm, it didn't. Mm, um, mm. I wish it had. I wanted it to. Sure. sure. I'll be curious how you like it. You know. Yeah. Interesting, man. I'll I'll look forward to viewing it for sure. I got like five more. I'll do them speed round. Yeah, speed round. Speed round. There's one called Mad Dogs. The uh-huh. first one or two eps have like a really unfortunate. Uh, scene you want, you're going to want to skip, but yeah. s- that one is worth watching. Steve Zahn and a bunch of people. It's about guys who go... Oh, and uh, uh, Billy Zane. It's about guys who are invited to Belize on vacation and uh-huh. wind up like in the middle of like this horrible cover-up and they can't leave and people are trying to kill them. Dude, that it's, sounds awesome. Very 90s, very good. Yeah. Sneaky Pete, Giovanni Ribisi is a con man. Rebeast. Absolutely have to watch that, dude. That's the yeah. first one you should watch, man. Okay. Get on that. Sneaky Pete's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Z, which stars um, Christina Ricci as Zelda Fitzgerald. Yeah, and kind yeah, of the yeah. Backstory of they canceled that after one season, but it was a good season. Um, uh-huh. I wouldn't probably bother with Jack Ryan starring Jim Halpert. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't bother with The Patriot. I watched two or three episodes of that, and it was just nothing. Yeah, uh, and I definitely wouldn't bother with the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, huh? But, interesting. You know, I heard uh, I heard that was good. Um, yeah, I heard it was good too, and then I watched it, and I went, "Huh, that was okay." Yeah. And then I didn't watch any more of it. I just watched the pilot. That was all. Interesting. So, those interesting. are my recommendations. Thank you, baby. That uh, that really helps, man. We're excited about Prime. We're excited to be uh, uh, be on board and and have access to all that entertainment. And uh, yeah, we can kind of catch up on what I've viewed in uh, in future episodes of the Gut Check radio program. But, baby, this has been, uh, this has been a blast, man. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, apologies to the, to the Ethan Hawke and Paul Schrader family for um, everything that we said about their picture. But, uh, yeah, this, was, this has been really fun, man. This was like vintage uh, Gut Check radio this morning. So, uh, baby, we have, uh, we have wandered to and fro throughout these topics, and we will see you next time.